morning, everyone. My name's Ollie. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor of our youth and young adults here. And privileged to be opening God's word with you today. We're back in the book of Exodus, uh, leaving Egypt as we study God's word. Uh, there's a principle in psychology uh, called a negativity bias. A uh, negativity bias is this uh, bias or attention that we give as people, as human beings, to negativity, to negative events. Uh, we see the worst out of things. And this plays out in our psychology, in our behavior, in our decision-making, in our relationships. We tend to assume and focus on the bad things. I don't know if you do this. We, we look at uh, what's around us and we tend to miss all the good and be focused on the negative. Uh, a bit like our friend Eeyore. Uh, it could be worse. Not sure how, but it could be. Another word for it is cynicism, a cynical heart. And the air that we're breath- breathing in, in the culture that we live in is, is cynicism, is negativity. Turn on the news, so much focus on what's, what's negative, what bad is, uh, all the bad that's happening. I scroll through Facebook post after post, grumbling and complaining. Uh, but we, we don't complain, do we? Uh, we don't grumble. We do, we. Uh, we do, don't we? And I wonder today, what are the, some of the things that you find yourself grumbling about, the negative bias that is in your heart? Uh, maybe it's the football scores. Sorry, Port supporters. Uh, but more seriously, it might be We find ourselves cynical and and focusing on the negative that church leadership is changing. That's hard. Maybe we look around at at lockdowns and government decisions and we have this kind of negative view and we complain about it. They can never get it right. Maybe we're unsatisfied with our jobs, unsatisfied with the house that we live in or we're complaining about the relationship that we have or we don't have. We're all prone to grumbling and complaining. You know, personally, I find myself doing this in ministry, in in my uh, role as a youth pastor. There's lots of challenges, lots of conflicts and things that are hard, and I can have this cynical spirit about it and complain and grumble. As we come to the book of Exodus, chapter 16, it's a story of the Israelites grumbling And how God provides manna from heaven. And you know, we can look at the Israelites and think, how thick are you? How stupid? You've seen all that God has done, and yet they come and grumble. And yet we need to examine our own cynical hearts and think, have we forgotten something? So we gather here this morning. It's a challenge for us. Are you satisfied? Are you fulfilled? Or are we walking around with a chip on our shoulder? So let's have our Bibles open to Exodus chapter 16, and let me pray for us as we come to God's Word this morning. Our Lord, we thank you so much that you've spoken, that you have revealed yourself to your creation, uh, that we can know you and know your will. And we pray as we come to this passage uh, that you would give us humble hearts to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would guide and shape us 
and increase our faith, Lord. Help us to have a revelation of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the context of Exodus so far is the people of Israel have been stuck in Egypt. They're slaves. They're having a terrible time. They cry out to God, and God hears them. It's been hundreds of years of slavery. They cry out to God. God sends them a deliverer, Moses. And through Moses, God performs these amazing signs, these plagues of wonder. They're terrible upon the Egyptians and Pharaoh for his hard heart. And God, in his glory, he redeems them. He purchased them out of slavery. He rescues them out of Egypt. And as the Egyptian army chases after them, they go through the Red Sea, an incredible miracle. And God rescues them. And as the Red Sea then crashes over the Egyptian army, what do the people do? They sing. They rejoice. They worship God for what he has done. It's this beautiful moment of praise in chapter 15. And at the end of chapter 15, they're starting their journey through the wilderness. They're thirsty. They cry out. God provides water. And then they get this promise in verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, I will put none of the disease on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. This God has showed himself to the people of Israel. I am your healer. I am your God. This is who God has shown them to be. The problem with the Israelites, and maybe you think your children have this problem too, is they have this condition where information comes in one ear and then out the other. The Israelites had a memory problem. They had a serious case of amnesia. They forgot who God is. This is how the scriptures interpret this passage. If you go to Psalm 106, retelling the story of the Israelites and their redemption, verse 10 Uh, says, so God saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sung his praise. Verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craven in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. They soon forgot his works and did not seek his counsel. You see, they forgot who God is. They forgot what God was capable of. And so we see this forgetfulness give way to bitterness and grumbling. Look at chapter 16 in our passage for this morning. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They forgot God and they grumbled. What's even worse is that their memory started to get distorted. Their memory of Egypt. Look at verse 3 there. And the people of Israel said to them, With that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Had they forgot for hundreds of years of bitterness and slavery, and yet they read 
They say, you know, back there we had meats and full bellies. When they'd taken their eyes off God, they'd forgotten God, forgot to seek Him. Suddenly their view of the past was distorted. See, the root of Israel's bitterness is a problem with their faith, with their theology. Theology means our understanding of who God is. You see, this was at the root of their bitterness was a bad theology. They forgot who God is. And this is why God is going to respond the way that He does. Responding to their grumbling and their cynicism, what the Israelites needed was a revelation of God. So look with me at verse 4. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. In verse 6, he says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. Jump down to verse 12 there. I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. It was a problem with their knowledge. Their grumbling was a problem with their understanding of who God is. And so they needed to get their faith right, their belief right. They needed to remember who God truly is. They were grumbling because they'd taken their eyes off God. They'd stopped trusting Him. Instead of trusting God, they started clamoring around for control, pointing fingers, blaming Moses, blaming Aaron. Their response was fear and doubt and negativity. Cynicism at its root is a faith problem. A negativity bias happens when we forget who God is. The people were unsatisfied because they hadn't really trusted God to satisfy them. When we consider our complaints and our cynicism, do we have a faith problem? What do you find yourself grumbling about? Maybe it's people in your life that they don't meet up to your expectations. Have you taken your eyes off God who can change people? I've heard it said, you know, this person, they can never change. Is that what you believe? Or maybe the house that you're living in, really dissatisfied with where you are in your situation. Have you forgotten that maybe God has put you there? Or that God has the power to move you if that's His will? Maybe you find yourself grumbling about uh, your relationship right now. Or grumbling that you're not in a relationship. Have you forgotten that the God of the universe loves you? And that He accepts you and He fulfills you in every way so you don't need to find that perfect acceptance in that person so you can live out His calling to love. And instead, we choose to complain. You know, I've had this same spirit as I look at the world around us and I think, man, it's going to the pits. 
And I think I can start using this defeatist language like it can never change. God could never do it again. The way the world is going. Have I taken my eyes off God? I've got a faith problem. And I want to clarify something at this point. God doesn't condemn the Israelites for having need. It wasn't a problem that they cry out. Actually, the Bible is full of stories and it affirms lament, affirms suffering and crying out to God. And God always, always hears and receives those who would humble themselves and call upon Him. That's not the problem. The problem is, and the difference is, is that our grumbling, cynical spirit comes from an unbelieving heart. That's what the writer of Hebrews called a sinful, unbelieving heart. And so I want you to listen to this distinction. There are those who cry out to God because they know who He is, and there are those, like the Israelites, who grumble because they forgot who God is. Can you see the distinction? Those who cry out to God because they know who He is. They have faith in who He is. And then there are those who grumble and complain because we forget who God is. See, what our cynical hearts need is a revelation of who God is. We need to see God again. We need to remember who He truly is is faith is the answer to our grumbling faith that to trust and believe and depend on god faith is what we need so let's take a look at how god responds he is so abundantly gracious and good to the people of israel look at verse 13 Uh, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp and in the morning dew lay around the camp And when the Jew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. We read later in verse 31, it tasted like honey. I mean, how good is God? Not like the wafers that we have at communion. I'm sorry. (laughs) When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. You see, God has heard their hunger, heard their need, and he satisfies them. He provides for them. He provides for their needs. God is good. God is so abundantly generous to feed them. This is the God we worship. Do you believe that God can provide? In Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Do we trust that He will satisfy us? Will He satisfy us? You know, we live in a culture unsatiable appetite. Think about that satisfaction. We just never satisfy, constantly seeking after more. And that's where we see these cynical grumbling hearts because we're unsatisfied. 
kind of like the movie uh, Megamind, this beautiful, theologically profound film. Um, he's in his room, he's conquered it all, uh, this mastermind, and he looks and he's unhappy, he's unsatisfied. And he's, I'll show you this picture of this drinking bird. He's, I understand you, little well-dressed bird, always thirsty, never satisfied. What a prophetic word over our culture right now. Always thirsty, never satisfied. I mean, our economy is built upon the fact that we should buy more, that we should consume more. The latest car, the latest phone, never satisfied. Things are built to break so that we would buy more. And we're told by advertisements that we need more. It's like that KFC ad. They're just doing their thing and they see KFC and suddenly they have this insatiable appetite for KFC. Just never satisfied. If you think about the pornography industry, built upon the fact that our lusts are never satisfied and so we need more and more and things that are more deviant to satisfy these ever-growing lusts. It's a culture we're unsatisfied. So what is going to satisfy us? What will satisfy us? Unfortunately for our shopping bills and convenience, the whole manna from heaven deal is kind of finished. But the reality is that the bread from heaven is actually pointing to something more. See, bread from heaven meant something else. This is where the beauty of Scripture is. I love it when it's clear. It's really uh, obvious. Turn to John chapter 6. Because we're going to see a reference to this very passage. Uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. They've had their bellies filled. They're amazed at this miraculous man. They want to follow him. They chase him around the lake. They find him on the other side. And... Jesus actually confronts them. He says, you're seeking after me, not because you understood the signs, understood who I am, but because you had your bellies filled. And sometimes we can do this too. We can have this experience of church or God, and we're just chasing after that experience, that that filling, rather than the one who is the one who satisfies us. And that's where Jesus says in verse 29, uh, the work of God, this is, that you believe in him who sent, he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. We read it before. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, who fulfills the world, who satisfies the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus 
is our satisfaction. See, Jesus is the answer to our heart's cry. Faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, is the path to true life, true fulfillment, true satisfaction. And so we need to ask, because that's a lot of confusing things to say, big things to say. How does Jesus satisfy us? How? How is he the bread? Well, I believe there's three questions that every human heart is asking. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what is my purpose? Every human being asking these questions. Who am I in this world? Where do I belong in this world? Who are my people? And what is my purpose? What's the reason for my existence? And this is how Jesus satisfies us. is because he says who we are. He says we are a child of God made in his image. He loves us dearly loved as his people, as his creations. And who are we? Well, we've sinned against God. We are far from him. And that's why we have these cries out of needing something because we're separated from God. We're naked and ashamed and full of sin and wrongdoing. And yet the beauty of the gospel, of what Jesus has done, is that on the cross, he takes our sin away. He clothes us with his righteousness. So now we do belong. We belong in relationship to God, our Father. He has brought us in. We were far away. We were enemies of God. He has brought us in. We belong in relationship to God, our Creator. He's reconciled us, but more than that, he's brought us into a family, the body of Christ. He says that we would be brought into perfect unity. Whoever we are, whatever our background, he smashes those barriers. He brings us together that we would belong. And what is then our purpose? Well, Jesus says that we have a purpose to bring glory and enjoy the Father and this relationship forever. We have a purpose, as he said, to go and make disciples of all nations. Spread this word. Pray the kingdom come. We have our deepest fulfillment in relationship to him. That's why in verse 40 of John chapter 6, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is our deepest, truest fulfillment. Do you believe in Jesus? Has your life found its fulfillment and satisfaction, that deep, deep joy in Him? That He has brought you into relationship. He's filled you with His Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in you. If you're not a Christian with us here today, thank you for being here. And what are you looking for? What are you searching for? We want to tell you with great joy and passion that the good news of Jesus is that it is for you if you would come and believe and receive, receive the bread of life. Trust in Him and He will not cast you out. He can fulfill that deep longing that you have. Faith in Jesus is the path to our truest fulfillment. And so then Jesus is the answer to our grumbling. Jesus is the answer to our cynicism. How can we be cynical 
When in Jesus we have the fullness of life. Are you looking to Jesus? Are you looking to Him for your satisfaction? Or something else? What are you looking for to fulfill you? Remember, at its root, our cynicism is a faith problem. There's an issue with our theology when we find ourselves grumbling and complaining. And then the key then to our satisfaction and our fulfillment is faith. And what faith does is that it lets go of control and lets go of fear and takes hold of what God has to offer us. So I want you to imagine a trapeze. Imagine you're holding on to the bar for dear life. You're swinging back and forth. There comes a moment where you need to let go of that bar and take hold of the one who will catch you. And it doesn't work. I don't know if you've ever tried this. It doesn't work if you're still holding on to that old bar. Get your arm ripped off or you'll let go. That's a point in our faith where we need to let go of control and take hold of God and let Him take hold of us. We need to entrust our desires to God. So for you, maybe you find yourself clamoring for control of your money at the moment. And you think, I, I, I need to control this. And you find yourself cynical and grumbling about where that's coming from. Maybe it's a relationship like I t- talked about before. Maybe it's your, your children and you want them to be perfect. And you're just trying to control everything in their situation. And you find yourself complaining to everyone about how they don't measure up to your expectations. The reason being is because you're trying to control it. You think it's in your hands. We need to let go and trust God and trust our desires and trust our deep cries to God. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe God is calling you into a season, into the wilderness. Calling you somewhere on mission or in ministry to people that don't know him. And that's uncomfortable. And yet we want to cling on to comfort. We want to, be, we want to feel good. You know, we want to be safe. And yet Jesus is saying, have faith, let go. Entrust yourselves to me. I will take hold of you. I'll provide for you. See, the Israelites, their faith was being tested. They needed to let go of control and rest in God's provisions. And so we see their faith tested. It needs to work itself out. And faith is then going to lead to three actions. Number one, contentment. Number two, rest. Number three, retelling. So I want to take you back to our passage in Exodus chapter 16. Number one, contentment. Look down at verse uh, 17 to 21. Uh, the people, what God has commanded them to do is just to take enough for one day, what they needed for that day. However, people would not listen. Look, verse 19. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. See, could the people be satisfied with what God had provided for them? Or did they need to take control? You see, when we doubt God's goodness, we doubt God's generosity, that's when our hearts, like the manna, start to go stinky. 
we get greedy. When we don't have faith that God's going to provide for us, that's when we get wanting more and more and more unsatisfied. And there's a question, right? Isn't it wise stewardship to kind of, there's manna here, I'm going to take and save some for tomorrow and save some for the next day and the next day. Was, isn't that a wise thing to do? But can you see that at the root of their hearts was not trying to be wise, was trying to be greedy, was trying to control rather than trust God as he had called them to. You see, faith creates hearts that are content and satisfied, trusting God to provide for their needs. That's why we're taught to pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It's the faith to trust God for today. So for you, what would it look like for you to trust God today? Trust Him for what He has provided for you. Let go of control. Receive His grace. Receive His daily bread. And even if we don't receive that provision, can we believe that we have received the bread of life and to say, Jesus, you are enough. When everything is taken away, God, you are enough for me. That we would delight in Him and receive Him. Well, faith then leads to the next action. So faith leads to contentment, then leads to rest. Faith leads to rest. Look at verse 22 to 30. Uh, now the people, God had commanded them to, to gather twice as much on the sixth day so that they might rest on the Sabbath. So look verse 22. The sixth day they gathered twice as much. Verse 23. Tomorrow the Lord has commanded is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. And he says it's not going to stink. God will provide. It's not going to go off. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people, they didn't believe. Listen to this. They went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. See, Sabbath is a gift. Verse 29, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift from the Lord. More than that, it's actually a test of faith. Do they believe in God that he would provide for them so that they can enjoy his gift of Sabbath? You know, for many years, I believed the Sabbath to be uh, reduced to just a law under the Jewish law, and then we're not under the law anymore because we're under grace that Jesus has fulfilled that. And so I don't need to do Sabbath anymore. And, you know, we read the Ten Commandments, and we like all of them. We kind of, uh, but the Sabbath thing, you know, that's just a good principle of, you know, rest. But then what that can lead to in my heart, what it did for me, was this work mindset. I mean, isn't it more godly that I just expend myself, not take a day off, in service of the Lord? Is that more godly? You see, what I'm doing then is I've actually taken away faith to believe that the ministry or my work is not mine, but it's God's. And so if God has asked us to take a day to rest, would we believe that He would provide for us and that He would be in control? 
His Sabbath is a gift. As we practice Sabbath, we practice faith that God is at work. Do you believe that God is in control? And certainly, because of the gospel, and the writer of Hebrews, again, is very clear that in Jesus, we have our truest Sabbath rest for eternity. That that's been fulfilled fully. And that we're not bound under the law. But this is the way we've got to think. Because of the gift of grace, we can now enjoy Sabbath, not as law, but as a gift of God. We can do so out of worship for Him. And so I think it's something that we should seriously consider as a Christian. Can we stop and rest and take a day to worship God? So I want to leave you with a couple of practical suggestions in terms of Sabbath. Uh, this is from a guy called Peter Scazzeri. He writes on emotional, healthy discipleship. Uh, but the four things he recommends is, number one, stop work. Number two, rest. Number three, delight. Number four, contemplate. I mean, stopping work, that speaks for itself, but sometimes we forget. We need to actually stop work. We need to rest. That rejuvenation, we need to slow down. I mean, we're finite beings. Delight. Think about God as He created the world. On the seventh day, what did He do? He rested. And what did He say? He said it is very good. He enjoyed His creation. And so too, we're invited into on the Sabbath to delight in who God is and what He has given. So take a day to do the things you love. Go for a hike and give praise to God. Play a game with your family. Read a nice book. Delight in what God has given you. And lastly, most importantly, contemplate. See, ultimately, Sabbath is not about doing. It's about being. As we enter into relationship with God, we can spend a day, we can think of Him. We can open His Word, receive from Him. We can pray to Him. We can be with the Father, meditate on Him. Can you see how faith can reject complaint, reject negativity, cynicism. Sabbath is a great way to restore that heart. Restore that heart of gratefulness and faith. And you know, different seasons, it'll look different uh, for different people. For me, I've got two little kids. It's certainly different. Uh, but think about small steps you can take. And maybe, maybe it's just a few hours you can give right now. Life is just chaotic and all you can do is I can set aside a few hours and try and build that up in your life. Maybe you need to reject a work shift, but take aside that time, remembering that in Jesus, the fulfillment of our rest, fulfillment of our Sabbath, we can practice that. So we've seen faith leads to contentment. Faith then leads to rest as God has commanded the Israelites to do. And finally, faith will lead to retelling. So look at verse 31 to 36. Uh, what we see is the Lord is going to command them to pass this on. Pass this faith on. Uh, the house of Israel called its, its name manna. And verse 32, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar Put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout the generations. You see, Moses and the Lord cared about the generations. 
of faith. They were commanded to pass it on. You see, what happens when a generation fails to, to, to share this faith and pass it on to the next is that we're doomed to repeat the same sins. What happens is the first generation, we might see God, know His ways, experience His goodness. The next generation, if we're not passing it on, they may know who God is, but not experience Him. And then the next generation, they don't know who God is, let alone experience Him. And so how do we stop this? How do we stop this decay? We make investments of faith in the next generation. That we would resist a cynicism and a negativity bias to look to pass on faith. Be people who believe and call the next generation. I wonder if that's something that you think about. What are you passing on? What are you passing on to the next generation? What jars do you need to lay so that your next generation will remember? Thinking about yourselves here at Oakden, do you know who the next generation are? Do you know their names? Would you come along to an evening service at five where many of our young adults are seeking after the Lord, doing amazing ministry, but what they need is the next, the older generations to invest their faith. Your stories matter. And the next generation needs to hear them. So come along, learn some names. Hear Hear what they're going through. And some are here today too. Say hello. Love them. What the stats are showing is that, but the difference, there's many, there's a few things, but one of the factors that differentiate those who leave the church after high school and those who stay in church after high school are those who are known by adults in their church. Not just their youth leader or their parent, but that they feel like they're part of something. So you can do an amazing work of God by simply knowing someone's name and saying hello by name. Maybe you've learned their name, learned what they're studying at uni or at school. It can make a massive difference. Let's have an attitude, not of cynicism. You know, we can look at the next generation and think they're entitled, they're addicted to their phones. Let's, let's reject that and let's have faith again to believe that God can do a new thing in them. And it's our responsibility to pass that on. So what sort of investments are you going to make? And that takes releasing control, right? We have to pass, Moses had to give that jar to Aaron. Aaron would have had to pass that on too. That takes, that takes a bit of courage to let go of control. But what will your legacy be? Of faith or of cynicism? That's where we're going to finish today. Uh, the opposite of faith is not just doubt, but cynicism. Cynicism is a faith problem, our grumbling like the Israelites. At its root is unbelief. And for generations, the Israelites are going to struggle forgetting God forgetting who he is, forgetting to pass this on and believe that he is their God. But the wonder and the glory is, is that God has sent Jesus, the greatest fulfillment of the bread from heaven. He gives us a new heart and he calls us to believe in him 
And he will always, always satisfy us. He will quench that thirst with a water, the living water that always satisfies. So can we be those people of faith? So I want to read to you as I close from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 3, beg your pardon. This is the prayer that Paul prays. And just listen. Uh, listen to the way that he prays that their faith would increase. And at this point, I'll invite the band up. We're going to close in a sec. Uh, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Again, the Israelites They failed to know, and God said that you shall know. And so here again, Paul says that you would comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. Are we going to have faith that he can do immeasurably more? We can reject grumbling. You know, our church is going to go through some transitions, but I want to call us to reject cynicism and take hold of faith to believe that God can do a new thing here, that he can pour out his spirit in a new way. We can believe in faith that he is God and he is going to provide for us. We can trust him. We can love him and enjoy him and be satisfied fully in him, the bread of life. So I want to call us, some of us, we need to do that hard work. What are we complaining about and what at its root are we not believing? So let's believe and let's trust God. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we just ask that this would be true of us, that we would be people of faith, faith to trust you, Lord, to let go of negativity and complaint and grumbling. And Lord, I know our church are going through many struggles, many pains, many sufferings. And may we be a people that don't grumble, but cry out to you because we believe in who you are. That's who we want to be, Lord. We don't want to forget. So Lord, help us as we pass it on. Help us as we rest and we stop. And may we be a people of contentment and great joy. So Lord, we thank you and we want to trust you. We worship you now. God, you are good. God, you are glorious and holy. So we look to you now. And all God's children said, amen.